Hi everyone, this is Janice, your neighborhood nutritionist. I've spent the last couple of years helping busy office professionals upgrade their health through upgrading their nutrition. And one thing was very obvious. Nobody's got time to read up on all the scientific stuff to know fact from fiction. So each week, I will talk to you about a different topic or concept in nutrition in simple, everyday terms, so you are empowered to make the best nutritional decisions. Get ready to learn about some new stuff, gain new insights into old concepts, and super boost your health. Hey everyone, so today we have Chloe back once again. Welcome back, Chloe. And we're going to talk about the topic of body dysmorphia, just because I think, you know, with restrictions, relaxing and summers around the corner, it's something that comes up every year for a lot of people, both men and women, right? That we, we're not happy with what we look like, especially in the summer when everything is out, you know, on show. So um, before we get into this topic, maybe Chloe, do you want to talk to us about why you were talking about this topic and perhaps your background, your, your, you know, your experience with this? Yeah, of course. So hello, and thank you for having me on again. Um, so my name is Chloe Jane Prince, and I'm a food freedom coach, which basically means I help people heal the relationship with food and their bodies. And for me, it really comes from a place of having lived the experience. I had um, anorexia for 14 years, of which I had body dysmorphia for a lot of that as well. Um, so body image, eating disorders, disordered eating are all things that are very close to my heart. And I really do get from a experiential perspective, as well as having studied it a ton as well so what is body dysmorphia okay so body is quite a big thing to talk about so I'll try and keep it as simple as I can so body dysmorphia basically is normally typified by what people see what people are seeing in the mirror being different to what is actually there so this is something we, we see an awful lot in the nutrition industry with people who've experienced great amounts of weight change significant amount of, of weight change often with weight loss they may see themselves as being in a larger body when they were when they were actually have significantly lost weight and this is something that happened to me before I had anorexia um I was in a larger body and even when I had lost a significant amount of weight um, I still saw who I deemed to be the fat girl in the mirror and that was something almost we run from so, so it's quite difficult for us to get our heads around especially with diagnosing it um, because we really do believe that's what we look like you know your eyes are lying to you really but you know the bottle on my desk looks the same size as it would you know it's very and other people look the same size as they are so it's really difficult to wrap our heads around that actually but it's because it all happens on this subconscious level in the brain um what we're actually seeing is being distorted but it's not the only symptom that we see in body dysmorphia we also see things like compulsive behaviors body checking um lots of either avoidance of mirrors or checking in the mirror a lot um often misdiagnosed an awful lot actually um with ocd eating disorders and other things as well because of the preoccupations that exist um but it is a spectrum like with everything um so you can have everything from low body confidence where maybe you you see and you look for things in the mirror that maybe you're not happy with all the way down to having um what we call body dysmorphic disorder um which is um the full diagnosis that that you can have um at the more sort of extreme level of body dysmorphia 
So when you talk, you mentioned diagnosis, um, how does one get diagnosed? You know, do is, does this come out and, you know, going to the GP or how do we discover this? So your first entryway normally into any um, specialist network here in the NHS um, is by going to your GP. They will then refer you out to a psychiatric team who can then refer, who can then um, do the diagnosis. Um, in the UK, we use the DSM-5, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual of Mental Health, always a bit for my um, uh, mouthful to get out. Um, and that basically is a list of criteria that that basically the, the psychiatrist will look at and go, does this match up based on the answers you give to certain questions and things? And but it's really important to remember that a diagnosis doesn't, you know, a lack of a diagnosis doesn't mean that you aren't suffering. I think this is something that's really important. And I talk about this a lot in result in relation to disordered eating and eating disorders. Um, you don't have to have clinical eating disorder to be struggling with, with food and your body in the same way that you don't have to have body dysmorphic disorder to be struggling with body dysmorphia. Um, but if you are looking for diagnosis, then um, your GP would be your first point of call. Following that would be a referral onto the team. But again, it's really important, I would suggest, before going to um, the specialist referral to really have an understanding yourself of what body dysmorphia may look like, because as I said, it is often misdiagnosed. OCD, um, eating disorders, general anxiety disorders are generally often um, sort of seen first rather than body dysmorphia. And, uh, and getting that specialist treatment is really important. And I think being an advocate for our own health is increasingly important in the healthcare system. So it may be useful to go and actually look at the Diagnostic Statistical Manual of Mental Health. It's, if you just type DSM-5 into Google, um, you can get lots of um, checklists there if you want to. But I'd only suggest doing that if you are going for that psychiatric referral um i think if we all looked at the dsm-5 we all find something wrong with us i think so probably not best to look that unless you're going down mm. um, that diagnostic route yeah because i was gonna say i'm sure we've all had those moments you know when we ask our friends our partners our family like do i look fat in this you know like i'm we've all had those moments and i think it's really useful to understand that our brains and our eyes can play tricks on us but at the same time not I guess, scare ourselves or overlabel ourselves just because there are moments when we feel like, oh, I wish I could be a little bit different because we all do that, right? I think it's it's normal. Um, yeah, 100%. And this is where I talk about this spectrum of having, mm. you know, body image days where we ask, you know, typical question that, you know, comes out, does my bum look big in this? Um, you know, where we have the days when we ask that actually body dysmorphia and, and a sp- typically body dysmorphic disorder is something that we see where it's actually impacting quality of life quite significantly mm-hmm. um also worth mentioning while i remember um that this is not something that we just see in weight loss it's actually if mm-hmm. you ever i don't know if you what read trashy magazines people that go for tons and tons of of um plastic surgery mm. and they come out and they're unhappy with the results is actually often body dysmorphic disorder or body dysmorphia mm-hmm. what they're looking for the surgeon to change in the mirror doesn't exist so when they come out of the surgery with things looking the same as they were before because the issue isn't in that isn't their face it, it's in the subconscious mind for them mm-hmm. um they end up suing plastic surgeons and all sorts of things so it really can manifest in lots of different ways um just thought I would mention that in case helpful as well yeah and I think just to add a third lens to this um I see this a lot in the gym and you know without being discriminatory it it does happen I think more to men who are trying to bulk up 
Uh, I remember I had this guy friend who used to call it bigorexia, you know, a made up word, but essentially people bulk up, bulk up, bulk up, and they start doing peptides or taking supplements or even doing, you know, plastic surgery to put muscles in their bodies because they never look big enough. You know, so I think just to remind people, this is not always about trying to look skinny. Um, trust me, like I am someone who was raised, you know, born and raised in Asia and I've always been skinny. And for a long time I was struggling, like how come I can't have curves, you know, like my Caucasian friends. And yeah, I guess just wanted to share, you know, it goes both ways, big and small. Um, and it's interesting that, yeah. And and muscle to small fix order is, Mm -hmm is increasingly common in men you know we're seeing a huge rise in that and you know things like receding hairlines you know yeah. that's again can be an example of body dysmorphia as well you know it can with with any gender can really play havoc and affect our confidence and quality mm-hmm. of life as well and in the UK how prevalent is this so it's assumed that you know, again, with this underdiagnosis, we know about 1% of the population probably suffer with, with body dysmorphic disorder, but actually the, the likelihood of that is, is much higher than we actually see it in the studies because of this underdiagnosis um, that happens, a misdiagnosis with the comorbidities often happen with, with the other um, mental health um, diagnoses that can exist. Um, so it's quite a significant amount of people when you think about it. Mm, it really is. It is. And, I, and I do believe that number is only growing. Mm. And... Why do you think, I mean, this seems like an obvious question, but why do you think this is becoming more prevalent? So I think that there are a number of factors at play here. What we know to be true is that social media has had a massive impact on people's mental well-being, on their self-confidence, their self-worth. And because this ultimately, um, you know, the body dysmorphia, body dysmorphic disorder, um, is something that occurs in that subconscious mind with all those limiting beliefs. I'm not good enough. Um, I'm not clever enough. I'm not strong enough. Whatever that, um, whatever those patternings may be, um, ultimately it uh, is something that we're seeing growing with our increased anxiety, with our increased um, lack of self-confidence. Obviously diet culture has a huge part to play in it um, in terms of, you know, what we see in Hollywood, the the models, the, you know, male and female that we see all play a part in, in what we call our body ideals. Um, but I also think COVID has a massive part to play in it during a time when, and I think we spoke about the, about the five human needs during the podcast we did last. Um, as humans, we have a need to feel safe. We have a need to feel secure. And during the pandemic, we've really seen a, for the first time, probably for a long time, one of the first times where people have been physically unsafe. And when this happens, we see people reaching out for control. Um, and that can be control in lots of different ways, whether that be through anxiety, whether that be getting really rigid with their routine structure, but actually body dysmorphia, you know, and, and training in the gym, controlling food are all other symptoms of that. So I, and and that self that isolation we've had with people has then left them a lot of time to think and and be with their own thoughts um so i think it was a growing more prevalent anyway and then adding adding covid and and the lockdown that you know we're we're currently easing in uh, when we're recording this now you know i do think that's added to the pressure and i've had a lot of people say to me what are people going to think of me when 
they see me for the first time again you know my weight may have changed maybe it hasn't but um you know for a long time we've we've been isolated and people have only seen us from the chest up on zoom for the majority right um so I think there's been a lot of pressure and and the diet industry has played on that an awful Mm. lot and and you know really hit on those sore points for people um, which I think is another reason why we're seeing it probably growing even more prevalent this year than maybe we would have seen during the you know with a natural trend that would have occurred yeah I find that interesting because if you think about throughout history right throughout times beauty standards have changed massively right so for example I know from studying Chinese history that in ancient China it was better to be round right? Because it showed that you were probably wealthy, you didn't need to do work. And so that was one form of wealth. And I think if you looked at, I guess, even ancient European history, right, they had very different beauty standards. But right now, I feel like the beauty standards dictated by social media is the least achievable. Right? It's not just about being either just being skinny, like in the 70s, or just being round. It's it's being both at the same time, like it's super weird. So you're meant to be curvy, but at the same time, skinny, right? Which to me, it's extra interesting because I think on a rational level, we all know that that's not achievable naturally, but on an emotional level, we do. Yes. (laughs) Yes. But then on an emotional level, we're like, but I saw that person and she had the exact proportions that I want. Right. And, this is something that I talk to my clients a lot about, right? Imagine if, so for example, Chloe with you, right? I've only ever seen you on camera. I don't know how tall you are, right? I don't know. I don't actually know what you look like in the flesh. And imagine if I'm supposed to be in charge of picking your clothes out for the rest of the year, right? It will not work. Like I can try my best. It will just not work because I don't actually know you outside of the topic of nutrition and health. And I just find it so interesting that people believe that some random person or maybe a celebrity who lives a completely different lifestyle, probably live in a different climate, different country, different profession, and you're supposed to be able to be like them in any capacity. And what if they've had body you know what if they've had plastic surgery what if they Mm -hmm. have had um you know what if their image has been photoshopped which happens more often than I think people would like to admit on social media Mm -hmm. so I think it goes even more beyond you know of course all our bodies are different all our shapes are going to be different all our set points are naturally in terms of where our weights it's naturally are going to be different but you add to that the unattainability of then trying to be to look like somebody whose body actually doesn't exist anyway Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's, I mean, I'm not gonna lie, right? I've been there, right? I've looked on Instagram and been like, wait, but I want to look like that. And I think more recently, this has extended to things like skin color, right? Mm -hmm. And that's super fascinating, because growing up in Asia, there's a general, I guess, look of being pale is better right? People try to be pale. There's like skin whitening treatments, right? Whereas I've always grown up really wanting to be super tanned, like the more tan, the better. Like I'm not a fake tan person, but I would go bake myself in the sun in the summer to get like super brown. And again, this is something that's not really rational, is it? Because skin, because of 
a natural reaction to sunlight does tan. Some people burn, right? But it's such a weird thing that we assign so much value, actually, to how we look. When you can be yeah. the best looking person in the world, but be the most horrible person in the world, actually. And this is one of the big problems we see with, you know, with the prevalence of social media and, and with people self-esteem dropping is we start to feel like I'll be good enough when I'll be mm. good enough when I look like X, I'll be good enough when we really start to attach our self-worth to our physical bodies, mm-hmm. whatever that ideal might be that we're chasing, right? Mm-hmm. Knowing that all our body body ideals might be different. The body image that we're, we're striving for may be different. Um, and, and and especially with body dysmorphia, you know, the the importance that people who suffer with it place on their on their self-worth, what they make it mean about themselves. I remember, mm. um, you know, again, I had my own battles with, with body image um, and, and it nearly killed me. And I'm definitely on the more extreme end of that. But no matter how, and, and we start to play these games where I'll, I'll feel good enough when, I'll be good enough when. But actually that when never happens. You chase that number on the mm-hmm. scale, you get to that number on the scale and then you char- start chasing that next number. You know, And that's ultimately because it's not about what we look like. It's about how we feel inside. It's mm-hmm. about actually the fact that that self-worth has to come with within it has to come from within it's the only place it, it exists you know is within that subconscious mind and how we feel about ourselves but whilst we're chasing this ideal of body image we're never going to feel happy mm-hmm. and actually you know this is when the spiral really starts to become very destructive because it's never enough mm-hmm. and whether whether you suffered with with body dysmorphia disordered eating you're probably very familiar with this pattern of you know, getting to that goal and needing more. And and that's and that's why we do it is because what we're looking for actually doesn't exist mm-hmm. on the scale in our in in how we look. It, it's a chase for, for things that exist within. Do you mind actually sharing more about your own experience? Like do you remember what it was that triggered you for the first time that sent you spiraling? Yeah, so for me, like I always say before a caveat this to start with, trauma doesn't have to be a massive mm-hmm. life changing ordeal. Yeah. Trauma can be being bullied, trauma can be um somebody making a comment about you, trauma can be a situation where you felt really something. uncomfortable. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um I had a trauma I had a a life changing trauma. Um age eleven I was abused by my teacher at school, um, I was groomed by him by about six months, he was a paedophile. And I remembered how his hands felt on my body. I could remember the feeling of his hands on the fat that I felt was there on my body. I was only 11 at the time. Mm. Um, And that is when I really started to feel unsafe in my body. And I felt like my weight made me a target because I wasn't like the other girls in the class. I wasn't, I didn't look where I was in a larger body. I had boobs, I had hips. You know, whereas the rest of, you know, in year seven in, in the UK, you know, every, you know, everybody's at different stages of puberty. I started my period when I was eight. So I was quite advanced down that, you know, down that path, if we like. And so that was what really kickstarted me to go. It's actually not safe to be a woman. 
it's not safe to be in a body that has this cushioning around it. Um, and so I went on what could have been a lifelong chase to, to get rid of that. Mm. Um, and it wasn't as conscious of that at the time. Obviously, I knew I'd experienced significant trauma. I was offered counselling. I rejected the counselling that I was offered from Childline at the time. I didn't think I needed it, to be honest. Like, we'd had the court case. It was over. It was done. I had no understanding of the impact psychologically it would have. Um and it wasn't until my mum, we actually went on holiday and my mum realised that um, when I was exercising an awful lot, two, somebody poured oil all over my salad and I went to the gym for four hours. I didn't eat the salad. I just went to the gym. I was like, oh my God, panic. And then ran ran to the hotel gym. And so she took me to the GP afterwards and, and I went to, and, and they basically referred me to, um, to CAMS at the time. And... Uh, that was part of a long journey but at the time when I went there I wasn't actually diagnosed with anorexia because my BMI wasn't low enough and this is why I talk so much about the fact that whether you get a diagnosis or not does not mean that you're you know mm-hmm. it doesn't make you any more or less deserving of help because I do believe if I'd had early intervention at that time my my journey would have been quite different it actually took a long time for my my weight to, to get to the point where I was you know deserving um it's the way that my brain still thinks about it that's interesting and until the point where I um I I was qualified for for specialist support Mm. um but I saw that I saw that you know in trauma the brain gets stuck when we when experience trauma again whether this is life-changing trauma or, or um you know, trauma with a, I call it trauma with a capital T and trauma with a, with a lowercase t. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have trauma with a lowercase t, the, the brain still responds to it in the same way. It gets stuck at a certain point. And this is quite common for us to see with people who are experiencing body images that they probably have experienced some sort of trauma. Um, we never think our trauma is significant enough. So if you're sitting this mm-hmm. going, I, I had a traumatic experience, but it's not really that bad, was it? You know, something I always used to say, bear in mind, I had quite a traumatic experience. Um, I would say, but I wasn't raped. So why am I making a big deal of it? Why does it still affect me? Mm-hmm. You know, we will always downplay trauma. Um, so, you know, but we see... I then was seeing that stuck part of my brain almost reflected in the mirror back at me. And that's what I had for a very, very long time. And and even through recovery, through refeeding, through clinics, it wasn't really addressed. Um, I was never actually diagnosed with BDD, body dysmorphic disorder. Um, Obviously now as a specialist, I know that's what I was experiencing and what I had, but because I had been diagnosed with anorexia nervosa, that was the, you know, that was the thing they treated me for, Um, which is a shame really looking back um but I can't change that and this is why I'm here now doing the work that I'm doing right hey did you know embody me is a one-stop shop virtual wellness studio for busy people like you you can find hosts live streaming yoga fitness meditation breathwork EFT tapping moon ceremonies women's circles intuitive dance and so much more all in one place. Now, if you want to get to your best mental, physical, and spiritual state, sign up now for 20% off your first month with promo code not a diet. That's promo code not a diet. Sign up today at embodyme.life. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. And you mentioned, you know, CAMs and other kinds of treatment. So with someone who's been diagnosed with BDD or body dysmorphia or maybe you can't get that diagnosis right like you yourself experience but this is something you feel you're going through 
what what treatments are there you know apart from psychological counseling so it was worth remembering that you can get private help without going through the NHS so if you don't if you don't qualify for NHS support for whatever criteria and you have the funding available then obviously private coaching and and counseling is there for you I would always say work with a specialist somebody who gets eating disorders body dysmorphia because it is quite a niche thing to do and there are certain things we get to be aware of as professionals but other things that you can really do are actually SSRIs alongside therapy actually getting you know GPs can refer you for six weeks of generic counselling. Um, SSRIs, um, so for, which are a form of antidepressants, actually prove really, really helpful with body dysmorphia. So what we see with body dysmorphia is this sort of roller coaster of body image. When we're having a good day, we actually see something better in the mirror than when we're having a bad day. So actually, if we can stabilise somebody's mood, it actually makes it much easier for them to work through the stuff that's keeping them stuck. And I think, you know, at, antidepressants medication gets a bit of a bad rap sometimes but but what we can see from the brain chemistry of people with body dysmorphia is that actually more right side dominant more analytical um and so actually playing um, you know actually altering this brain chemistry so so that they can be more stable is actually really helpful um for um, their mood but ultimately it is something that needs treatment um to really see long lasting sustainable results there are things that you can do um to improve it but it's so ingrained in, in the subconscious mind that it's really important that you work with somebody who understands that and can shift that for them. And that can be in lots of different ways as well. Um, but SSRIs are, are, are an alternative. Um, if you can't get treatment right now, um, if you need something um, to support you during that process, even with more generic free counselling that you can get through the NHS, it might make the process a little bit easier for you. You already reminded us, right? Unless you are sure you're going down that route right and you just want to I guess double check with using DSM-5 what are other ways you know maybe simple questions that we can use to reflect on ourselves and you know really help ourselves start to understand if I'm just having one of those days where I feel like I have a podge or should I be you know maybe focusing on getting better already so some of the questions that I would normally ask clients around this is, um, or people that are, are looking for support, how much is this impacting the quality of my life? And in which ways is this impacting the quality of my life? Um, how, what behaviours am I, am I engaging in? And what's the impact on that psychologically, emotionally, in our relationships, for example, as well? Um, really starting to understand your body image ideal is really important so thinking about you know if there was a celebrity what would who would you like to look like and why and then follow-up question what do you think looking like that is going to give you be a really useful question to then Mm. unpicking um what am I actually chasing for if you think that's going to give you confidence you're going to feel sexy you know whatever that may be for you you're going to feel like you're like macho man whatever that may be then, you know, that then it gives us a lot of information that you can then start understanding actually what you what are you chasing and, and maybe starting to reassure the brain that it's not actually about what you look like. Um, but ultimately, when, you know, 
I would argue if it's bothering you, if you're listening to this and you're thinking that's that's something that I probably have going on, why do you need to fit a, a criteria to be needing that support? Um, obviously, we all have body image and that exists for all of us personally. I think if we, we should all be in coaching and therapy. Um, if we, you know, if we look at the US, for example, like most people have a therapist and a coach, and I think it is no bad thing. Like we go through so much during the life that we have. Um, and actually normalizing that I think is really important you know a lot of people that I work with won't tell friends and family they're working with a therapist or a coach um and I think why not I, I, I if I could work with five coaches or therapists at a time I would I think it's the best thing ever and it makes you feel fantastic so why wouldn't you um but um ultimately understanding the impact it's having on your quality of life might give you an indication of maybe how much you're willing to invest how how important mm-hmm. it is how significant it is and if it is having a significant impact on your life if it's meaning that you're spending a lot of time before going to work picking outfits body checking engaging in lots of behaviors then i would suggest that that's the time when you need to go to the gp and get a referral um and that's basically a lot of the referrals will be based on how much is this impacting your quality of life and and that is the same with any any issue really at Mm -hmm. all that we're facing physical or, or mental health you know obviously you went through this when you were a child your family you know were there to support you and so how can friends and family support you know when they maybe think that someone they know might be going through this or they know someone's going through this so what are the ways that we can actually show support instead of you know the typical response of just get over it so one of my biggest um bugbears and my biggest piece of advice is going to come from this is people often say oh my god don't you look good you've lost so much weight or oh my god don't you for me people were doing when I was going through anorexia recovery people would make such my my weight suddenly became dinner table conversation with people I'd only met a couple of times oh aren't you looking so healthy now you've gained so much weight well done and at the time I was thinking oh my god I just feel like thank you for telling me how (laughs) fat I am was the story that that played in my head at the time and actually because people are making their self-worth about the body image it's best not to talk about their bodies at all why not compliment people for who they are if somebody says to you you know do I look fat in this just tell them they're beautiful Mm. and they're a beautiful person inside and out right or maybe when you say something to somebody and you see somebody and they've you know you go oh my god they've lost a lot of weight keep that inside your head (laughs) or oh my god haven't you gained weight again keep that inside your head whatever that may be um and try and find something, what I call a fluid identity, something that is intrinsic to that person. Um, thank you for being so kind. Like, oh my God, you're such, you know, so you look so happy today. Try and focus on things that aren't the body image. And honestly, the amount of times I want to bang my head against a brick wall in family conversations, even though I've educated them an awful lot. Some are better than others. My sister is brilliant. Um, but again, she was quite young when I was suffering. She's like the hypervigilant to a T with words like don't say that um, but she even does that now and I've been recovered for a long time you know not talking about people's bodies don't celebrate weight loss don't celebrate weight gain unless that person's asked you to but also even if they have maybe think about why they've asked you to do that what are they trying to make it mean and how can you give them validation in other ways does that make sense because I get asked this a lot so you know when there is definitely value in kind of body positive movement but at the same time, I'm almost like, how about let's just stop talking about bodies altogether, unless yeah. we are talking about a medical problem, right? If you have mm-hmm. a health condition, those have names, right? But 
talking about someone's body, not not even your own, makes no sense to me, right? What, what does it matter right. to you? And I think culturally, right, there's a lot of cultures out there where whenever the elderly see young people, the first thing they say will be like, oh, you've put on weight. Or like, oh, you've lost weight. And I do know that that comes from a pace of love, right? They, I think they want to just say something to show that they remember something about you and, and they care about you and your health. And it's a compliment in their head. <laughs> yeah, but even I've had that, you know, I, I would say generally I'm quite okay with body confidence, but if someone says to me like, oh, you've lost weight, then I would think, wait, was I fat before? Like, <laughs> yeah. it, it does happen, right? Because that's what your brain does to these comments. And it's a really good reminder from you that maybe let's focus on other things about mm. each other. And and bodies change. You know, bodies will always be changing, whether it be through age, whether it be through life changes, injuries. I'm currently four months pregnant. My body is changing. What I'm going to look like is changing. And no matter where we are in life, our body is always going to be shifting and changing. It's not something that's static. Mm-hmm. So just to round this up, um, you've done this before, but can you please give our listeners three actionable tips? And I guess maybe this time let's look at how we can love our bodies more and honor them more. Love it. Love that as a, as a, I have to try, I have to think of new ones now, but I love it. So my first one would be get grateful for your body. Um, I often ask clients to write down three things a day that they are grateful for their body for whether that be you know their legs taking them on a lovely walk whether that be their arms for letting them cuddle partners let's start to actually appreciate what our bodies do for us actually just our bodies getting us through the day it's going to be as good as it gets sometimes in terms of how we feel so body gratitude actually being great gratitudes are actually a really awesome practice generally mm-hmm. but actually looking at our bodies um more specifically and turning that around could be a great way of of stepping outside of what our bodies look like and actually that functionality. So we, I, the way I often speak about it is we start to see our bodies as an ornament instead of an instrument. Let's turn them back to an instrument again. Body gratitude is a great way to do that. Um, second thing, it, it depends how comfortable people are. If they struggle in body dysmorphia, this might be really challenging. Um, but I'm going to give you a stretch goal here, listeners. Um, and that is to spend time with your body. Now, for some people, that might be yoga. That might be gentle movement if we're running around and doing things like that, we're not going to be very connected in our bodies. Um, But yoga, even spending time moisturising and, you know, spending time with our bodies, you know, and and saying, I love you arms, thank you for being awesome. I love, and actually saying it aloud, it may sound silly, you can combine these two exercises if you want, Um, body gratitude and and, and moisturising, actually spending time with our bodies, because so often we, you know, I remember I used to skip over my legs and my tummy really quickly when I moisturised because I didn't want to spend time with those parts. Spend extra time with those parts, if that's for you to do so and you feel comfy doing it and and my third thing is really learning more about yourself this is going to go slightly away from your prompt here but I think it's really important is actually starting to take time to build those fluid identities who are you on the inside and write nice things about yourself I call them fluid identities because they're things that aren't going to shift and change your body shape and weight may shift and change throughout your life quite a lot but actually learning on about yourself I am kind I am intelligent I am um 
athletic I'm a quick learner I love people you know all these things are not are not necessarily going to change overnight even things like what job you do are actually a structured identity not a fluid identity because what happens if you lose your job people start to have an identity crisis right so actually starting to build those fluid identities for yourself is really really important as well so those are my three tips love them and I especially love the moisturizing one the last one would be what food always takes you to your happy place and I want to know if it's changed now that you're pregnant it has changed because I went off ice cream pretty much a couple of weeks after I found out I was pregnant I'm gutted so gutted now it's cake I love cake any cake but particularly lemon Madeira cake seems to do it for me at the moment (laughs) so it was Ben and Jerry's ice cream but now it's gone. So we'll see if that changes in a couple of months. I don't know, but my body will tell me when it's ready for ice cream again, I'm sure. (laughs) And that's it for this episode of Neighbourhood Nutritionist. Thank you so much for spending this time with me and I hope you've really enjoyed it and learned something you can take away with you today. If you could take a second to share this episode with one person you think will love it, that would be absolutely amazing. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you're listening now. See you soon.